Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast, which is hopefully going to be a more entertaining period of your life than the Mexican Grand Prix was, but there's actually the Mexico City Grand Prix. But anyway, I'm Freddie. I'm here with Nigel and Adam to discuss a pretty dull race. Um, and I feel like we should just get straight into it. So, Nigel, can you sum up the race really slowly? Because you need to pad it out. Uh it was pretty well. What I'll say is, halfway through the race, I think I messaged you and you said it was quite intriguing, but now you said it's dull. So that shows how, when you say it's dull, that's how you know it's a bad race. Yeah, I that. said it was intriguing before the pit stops. <laughs> yeah. And then the pit stops happened and the intrigue began to peter into um, the end. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it was, it was one of those races where when the strapping was heard after turns one, two, and three, the top three or four was four. Kind of set or the top six, you could even say. I mean, there's that factor of Perez uh, and Russell a little bit, I guess, but it was largely pretty dull. Probably the worst race of the year, arguably, this or Australia, perhaps. Uh, but you got to give credit to Verstappen, haven't you? I mean, I will say this I don't think I've trusted any driver since I've been watching motorsport, not just F1, or Forms of Racing, any more than Verstappen. When he's out the front, you just believe he will win. like, And that is not normal. Even with Hamilton, I didn't quite have the same feeling about it. And there's just something about Verstappen where it is only Hamilton who can compete with him, I think, at, at, that, at that high level. It is just outstanding. It is a scary level of inevitability from Max Verstappen. Uh, Adam, do you concur? Yeah, it's Thanos-like. Uh, you know, go, go beyond... <laughs> Beyond Hamilton, no, I I agree. I I do think it was, um, yeah, I'd, it's one of those. In hindsight, it was maybe more boring. I don't think the whole race was a snooze fest, but it just it it was kind of hinting at a climax that never really came. So yeah, it there sorry, is there's a, there's a level of hindsight that. that um comes with it in that the race had potential as well, which makes it feel mm. sourer. Uh, now we're looking back on it a uh, day wrong. post. Yeah. Um, in that, uh, I think we'll, we'll get onto this, but, I, I, you know, realistically, that race could have gone two ways and it just went the dull way, but it could, it could very easily have gone a very interesting and very decent route of a race, particularly in the storylines for 2022. Um, well, I mean, just to, to kind of already finish the discussion, of Max Verstappen, <laughs> um, what more could he and Rebel have done anyway? Even if Mercedes had had a tyre strategy that was competitive, how do you think that would have played out with from the Rebel side? I, I think the Red Bull had to race one. I think Mercedes could have just put a bit more pressure on uh, in terms of their strategy. I don't think they got it right at all. But Verstappen, I mean, even his qualifying three times faster. I mean, Russell's which I don't agree with. Russell said Mercedes had the best car for some reason. He said that. I mean, I don't think they did, or, or maybe they were equal. But if, if Russell's saying that, and you know, Verstappen three times faster, like bloody hell, and then he nailed the start, positioned his car perfectly, braked a little bit deeper than Russell into turn one as well, which is brave when he did first driving going into the corner. I mean, that is pure skill. And then after that, manages tyres perfectly to, uh, against Hamilton, managed the gap. So it was pretty much a flawless weekend. Well, flawless Saturday and Sunday. 
uh, for the strap. And I do think Mercedes could have put a bit more pressure on, though. Yeah, no, I, I agree on that. It's, I think going back to, because I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent when discussing his inevitability, but yeah, it, it is just as soon as he's ahead through that, through that first, you know, complex first couple of turns, then that's that's the race over really. And even, I mean, we saw last week, you know, extremely, extremely rare um, mistake at the pit stop and he still overcame it and won by over five seconds. So it's, you know, it, it's not it, even, it, you know, it, if he's in that position, it just feels like it's not going to be competitive unless there is some kind of, in, you know, bad luck. And even then he's still, you know, he's still kind of odds on favourite to win a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that's it. He's always going to be odds on favourite. But I think I think my opinion of this is that even with that, and that this will take us to the Mercedes subject, I do think, and I think we've all alluded it to, it was one of the more gifted races from Mercedes strategy team, you could say, um, when they're legitimately fighting for a win for convincingly the majority of the race. Even with Mexico being a fairly unabrasive track service historically, there seem to be concerns about tyre wear for this Grand Prix. And... Um, Red Bull were a bit more confident than Mercedes and Red Bull started on softs and went to mediums and Mercedes did the kind of opposite side of mediums and went to hards, which traditionally is a more reliable tyre strategy, but that just didn't work out for them, did it, in the end, Adam? No, I think especially doing it with both both drivers felt strange. You know, I can, I can see... I mean, to be fair, you probably would have done it with, with Hamilton considering he was starting behind Russell, but... Uh, yeah, it you know I can I can see maybe the merit of splitting strategy, but to do it with both drivers on the strategy that isn't you know kind of traditionally the um, yeah the prime strategy, then it just it just seems strange. And like you say, it's a bit it almost felt like consolidating second place from the off. Whereas you saw with Perez what could happen, you know, aside from Verstappen, you saw with Perez what would, what could happen on the other strategy as well. Yeah, I think what. There's a couple of ways they could have gone about it. It's going on the hardest five, but they should have pitted earlier to almost force Verstappen to perhaps take the hard because say if they pitted around lap 15 or 16, when they then you know, when they had a gap to uh, Bottas and Alonso, that group, they could have pitted them onto the hard, tried to undercut Verstappen, probably wouldn't have done it, but then Verstappen might have been forced onto the hards because they weren't sure about the medium uh, medium's tie life and then we know the Red Bull on the hard isn't usually as good compared to the other tyres uh, and then the shop would have had to overtake the Ferraris on track so then maybe Hamilton can close up and with a bit of a look on where the shop overtakes so he can maybe get a bit closer uh, so they could have done that I think, I think they should, if they were going to go for the hards, which they did a bit earlier, or uh, go on to the softs with by running the mediums longer. They didn't either. It was kind of a halfway house. It was very conservative, not for the first time from Mercedes. And I think when you're in this position, second, uh, when when it's when you've got a slim chance of winning the race, you've got to be aggressive and go for it. And I feel that's what they didn't do, especially with Hamilton. Yeah, I, I agree because I, I think if they, even if they'd mirrored the Red Bull strategy to the exact and started on softs and got onto mediums the lap after the Red Bulls had changed and things like that, um, if they'd been in that position, I think they would have been kind of mirroring Red Bull on pace. 
Um, I think if the strategies have been reversed, say if Red Bull has started on mediums and gone to hards and Mercedes started on softs and sailed on mediums, I think you could have seen a similar outcome with Mercedes winning, not quite probably by as much as Verstappen did, but with um, enough pace in hand. So I think there was enough similarity between the car's overall pace this weekend for it to be pretty much the, only the strategy to let them down, which, you know, is a positive of sorts. Um, if we, if we, definitely a positive if we compare it to where Mercedes have been, particularly recently, you look at Suzuka, um, where they were frankly nowhere. So the fact that they're able to kind of extract pace from this car at points is good, um, but it's very much looking at silver linings um, yeah. from a poorly played strategy. And, and we saw in previous years when Red Bull didn't have the fastest car, say 2017, 2018, 2019, they would always, the way they won the races was yes, they had a faster car on the weekend, but they would nail the strategy. And I feel like Mercedes, the few chances they've had this year, yes, they're unlucky, still, still, yes, they're unlucky in Zandvoort as well, but particularly on Sunday in Mexico, I've, I do think they could have really, it should have been more of, of a race than instead it wasn't. There's yeah, another. What, you go. Both. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to add. Is even. I mean, we've had this discussion, and um, me and Nigel wrote a kind of debate article on it about whether Mercedes will win a race. But it's not. It's not just whether they're fast enough, and it's not just you know whether you know whether you think Verstappen or Hamilton is better. But it's actually, you know, even if they are on a completely level playing field, I just back Red Bull to get it done, and it was the case last season and it's remained the case this season that they have just they've got more of the bigger moments right and Mercedes you know yes they've been unlucky at times but they have also you know been guilty of playing it too conservative and this is you know I think it would have been very difficult to win here regardless but they you know it's okay even if they have been more competitive even if it had been rolled reverse then they've just not got for a team that's won so much over the last decade they haven't had the clinical edge when it's mattered over the last two years yeah, and I think that there's, there's no more way of showing that than Russell, which was um, just a nothingy strategy that was, shall we do this? Shall we do that? Oh, let's just do something in between that's not going to work. And they seem consigned to fourth place immediately after that. Um, and they weren't really focusing on the, the race around them. I think I texted you, Nigel, and said, oh, Vettel's done very well on soft tyres. It makes sense to go on the softs, and that proves the mediums aren't going to drop off. And yet everything we heard from Mercedes is the mediums will drop off and we've got to go on the hards and things like that. So they just weren't reasoning the race in a way that you expect, in a way that other teams did successfully. And we'll get on to Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren. They read the race successfully and went for softs and changed halfway through. And we heard the radio call to suggest that. And it worked wonders because you looked at the pace that Ricciardo had. And even with Ricciardo's built-in lack of pace... Um, which you can probably then use as a kind of um, <laughs> measuring stick. Yeah, as a measuring stick, and then a kind of caveat for then, say, uh, different tire. Uh, what's the word? Offsets and things like that. Anyway, so even if because Ricardo was soft against hards, so even if Russell is soft against Rebel mediums, take away the Ricardo lack of pace offset, and it works out, <laughs> and then. Russell probably maths. I think it works. Um, it doesn't, it's pointless. But I I do think if Russell had gone long onto softs, he would have been on the podium. I don't know if he would have I think he probably could have got second. He wouldn't have won it, but I think he could have even beaten Hamilton. So um yeah, yeah. I didn't think that was unclear at the time either. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean 
yeah, we've called out Ferrari's strategies, but Mercedes did obviously not as bad. But but if Mercedes, still, if Ferrari had done that race, we would have been um, apoplectic. Exactly, and that's why. I'm not happy with Mercedes and the way they went about it on Sunday. You're going to send them a strongly worded letter? Uh, no, because I've not done that with Ferrari yet. Wait until next year. No, I know, but I mean, you don't speak <laughs> he's Italian. Them, he's going to send them the Ferrari rant podcast with oh, just, yeah. this could be I'll, you. I'll, I'll Watch out. Yeah. This could be Sign you. Yeah. yeah. Sort yourself out or else. It's like Can in a film where someone like cuts out bits of newspaper and sends a letter. Yeah. <laughs> Except then Nigel's in the podcast, so they'll be able to tell. <laughs> the anonymity will be blown as soon as they watch it. It's oh, very who's true. This? Who's this from? Oh, we'll never know. Oh, and, and he's 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 accredited media. Oh, oh well. Um, <laughs> only just. <laughs> only just. Um, talking of Ferrari, it felt like to be honest, they got every cool right. But just was slow. Yeah. Uh, reason for that, they turned the engines down. Uh, they had they were concerned about the turbo. Uh, and because they turned the engine down, to compensate that, uh, they went with a more lower downforce package. So then they were a bit slower in the corners. So that combined just meant they were slow. And also, uh, they were quick in FP1. I think they were 1-2, actually, in FP1. But then the track the track evolved as it does in Mexico because it's very dusty. It continues to ramp up. Ferrari didn't read that right at all. They got it completely wrong wrong with the setup. So power unit setup compromising for a bit of lack of straight line speed because of the power unit. That's why Ferrari was slow. Mm. I mean, okay. that was fun. Yeah, look at qualifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Leclerc, that's the thing. Leclerc had the DRS problem on the final DRS zone uh, down towards the stadium sections. So that's why he was a bit behind sides and qualifying, but it, but it doesn't it, it doesn't really matter anyway. I mean, yeah, qualifying was an interesting beast because with Valtteri Bottas being up there, you couldn't necessarily put it down to the Ferrari power unit. Just if it, yeah. even if, if even if they didn't have it turned up, and um, I didn't know they had it turned down, but if you know, yeah, if they had it turned down, then that kind of makes sense and just. But it probably was working pretty nicely because it was working well in the um, Alfa Romeo Bottas. So I don't know whether they needed to be so concerned about the turbo, but who knows? Um, I, I do. F- I do feel quickly since Science's engine blew up in Austria. Since then, Ferrari's straight line speed hasn't quite been as good as it was in the first half of the season. I feel mm-hmm. like. But I think you could legitimately make a case for Ferrari running their engine a bit too hot because you look at the amount of yeah. retirements they did have. So yeah. Um, yeah. there's probably, to be fair, the right course of action. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's what you would put the championship loss down to. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, best of the rest, if we count Ferrari as not the rest in this race, was Daniel Ricciardo, even with a 10-second time penalty for punting Yuki Tsunoda into Narnia. You had, um, you know, finally a good race. Was that penalty fair, do you think, quickly? I was surprised it was 10. Yeah, Um, same. But I think he deserved a penalty. Surprised you thought it would be less, you mean, or more? I thought it would be a five-second. Yeah. Based on on worse worse instances being five-second and more obvious ones being... Five seconds, yeah. if that makes sense. Like take yeah, yeah. take Russell and Perez at the start of Austria and that kind of thing. Russell was more well, on side and things like that. Then when again, was the last ten second penalty for a collision? 
Well, that's a question, Matt. Oh, well, uh, Silverson. Well, um, that's what I was thinking, but has there been one since? Silverson 21. Um, Just if you're comparing both of those. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting comparison. <laughs> I I do think it was well, basically I do think it was worth a penalty. I think I think it was definitely Sonoda's corner. Um, but also it's kind of understandable racing for Ricardo to kind of just be present to make Sonoda be wary. But it's the kind of move you can do probably more in a GT car than an F one car. Yeah. Which, it, 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 it's a bit clumsy to do in an open wheel car, yeah. especially on that corner, because it's not an overtaking spot. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't go for it, of course, but just the angle of it, it, it just makes it really awkward in an open in a single, uh, yeah, open wheel car. He said after the race he was going to try and put Sonoda slightly offline just by him seeing him and, and then try and get him on the exit. But, I mean, that's, too, that's so tight to try and get him on the exit. Yeah. Ricardo would need to have taken a much wider line to get him on the exit because it's such a short run then to... Um, turn seven or whatever it is um, turn yeah turn seven and it, it would have been difficult for him to do that anyway I think it, it's a bit of a desperate excuse to be honest um, if, if your if your strategy for that is based on kind of scaring them offline when they see you there that's quite a flawed you know gambling on a lot that you don't control well I think it was very obviously in Sonoda's blind spot um, that it's kind of like Sonoda could realistically have just thought, well, he's just not there. <laughs> and, you know, he, he only was alongside, the only way Sonoda could see him was by doing the corner correctly. Um, but yeah, I think, so I think, I think we all were on a similar page in that instant that it just wasn't necessarily the most, um, the least clumsy driving. It was probably quite clumsy, but, you know, the soft tire grip was there still. And, even with 10 seconds over his over his head, he went, he was something like 12th at that point, and he climbed up to seventh. And one of those positions did come from Fernando Alonso, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um because yeah. I think Fernando Alonso was within the 10 second margin of him. But obviously then Fernando Alonso retired with five laps to go, six laps to go in the race, and that freed up a nice little bit of time for Ricardo just to slot into very easily. And yeah, very well played by McLaren and him. Yeah, stunning effort. Uh, it's obviously a shame he doesn't. He hasn't done it more to save his seat, but for what Agreed. he did, it was a great drive, I think. Uh, it's the kind of Ricardo that perhaps newer fans haven't seen, and that's what makes him so exciting to mm. make those kind of overtakes and drive, drive his way through the field like that. I do think it was a perfect uh, mix of ingredients coming together with, with the soft tyres of the car and the track conditions with more rubber I do think that helped him a lot. And obviously, other yes. drivers didn't use the same strategy. Well, a few did, but they were further behind. So I think that helped. But it was still probably his best performance this year or second best performance this year. I mean, I can't think of one that's better. Yeah, I'm trying that to is the thing. It's not. Australia was okay. But it was also okay for Norris in this one in the race. He, I think he, I mean, Norris's strategy was a little bit yeah. harder. But I think Ricardo was, you know, playing it well with the strategy anyway. So. Uh, it's a hard one to think of one that was better this year. Um, yeah, it, it's quite quite nice to um, quite nice to have it in the last leg. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. It's not. It's it's kind of something positive, considering that he won't be in F one next year to kind of yeah. you know hold on well, to. On that, do you think it's the kind of race that makes you think? You know what? Fine, I'll give it a go with Haas or something like that. Because Steiner is still saying you can call me. 
Mm, no, I think I think his mind's already made up. Personally, I I, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's we, mostly we, I just fantastically disagree with the decision to go and be a reserve driver. For, oh yeah. I in think in isolation. In isolation, I don't think it is. If he has two more of these in Brazil and Abu Dhabi, maybe on its own, then though. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I think one yeah, race you can't you can't go off on one because one amazing race. I mean, every every driver's had one amazing race. No, I, well, I mean, I mean, does does it give him a little bit more kind of love to it if he's kind yeah. of like lost heart? Potentially, but like I said, I think where I was coming from. I think he's already made his mind up for me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, speaking of who we just spoke of, Fernando Alonso, um, engine penalty, very visibly frustrated, very vocally frustrated post-race. Um, I think he, he suggests he should be in championship contention or something, the amount of points he's lost from reliability. That's what he seems to think. Um, he seems quite happy to be leaving, to be honest. What do you think? Oh, his reaction when he got out of the car, well, throwing his fist and kicking the barrier, like... I do, I do like to see that, to be honest, because from sports people that emotion. But he's just—he's probably been the unluckiest driver this year. I think he has had so many failures, but he's been in good positions as well. I think he's lost about 50, 60 points just from reliability issues this year, which is huge for a team mm. that is who, who has the fourth best car. So not good enough on Alpine's side with the new engine. This was always the risk because uh, they did push very hard in this new power unit for this year. On Alonso side in particular, more than Ocon, uh, it's just letting him down far too much. More yeah. points than he's going to score next year with Aston Martin. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know how it's going to shake out. It could be more points than he was going to than he could score with Alpine next year if, if this trends continue anyway. So, um, if he had stayed. Uh, another little incident that happened that we're discussing because normally we would just not discuss this, but we have to discuss things is Pierre Gasly and Lance Stroll just very obviously being just driving wrong. Pierre Gasly very obviously <laughs> pushed Lance Stroll off the track and then kept the position and just rightly got a penalty for it. Is there any more to say? Another incident with... Uh... A driver leaving their team at the end of the season as well. You can tell it's coming. You can tell it's winding down. With these kind of incidents, you should be forced to give to go behind the car you've pushed off either, yes. rather than five seconds. Yes. I don't know why F1 does not have this rule. Just get on the, the race director or the studio just needs to get on the phone or you get back behind Lance Stroll right now or else you'll get a drive through penalty. And rather than yes. dishing out these wimpy five second time penalties, a useless most of the time. Stupid. This is the correct opinion, Nigel. Congratulations. I'm just speaking for everyone. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. I mean, do we think there's a kind of... Traditionally, that position would just be given back automatically by a driver. Do we think there's some kind of weird kind of just competitive... You know, we talk about, like, racing rules and drivers naturally forcing each other off more than they used to and things like that. Do you think this is just the kind of thing that's creeping in? just kind of racing uh, etiquette falling apart? No, I, th- I think for this one move, it was just Gasly a bit desperate because it is it was tricky to overtake. So I don't think it's a racing etiquette thing. I think racing etiquette is more kind of what Stroll was doing in Austin with that late move on Alonso to me, rather than what Gasly did. I think Gasly just went too deep. 
us all. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I meant more on um, giving the position back and not doing. Oh, sorry, sorry. It it feels like it's more drivers are taking a chance. They're kind of taking the chance that it won't get picked up, and then I don't know. That's that's fair enough, actually. Like, it, it, it's on the FIA. It's on it's on the race director to tell yeah. them to give the place because that's what we saw with Verstappen and Hamilton in Bahrain twenty twenty one. Like straight away, three quarters after they were told, mm. that's what should have happened here. Yeah, and that was less cut and dry than this because yeah. you could make a reasonable argument the move was completed before that happened. Um, yeah. There are a few. It just seems like there's not as much kind of prerogative to leave space on the outside. I mean, like the first lap in the third corner, the kind of last one before it heads out onto the mini straight. Um, And like, you know, Hamilton at the inside of Russell, Russell did go all the way off, I believe. But that's just like, no, it's not even kind of a talking point. It's like, it doesn't seem to be the case that if you're on the inside, you need to leave even kind of half a car's width on the outside if it's on the first lap i don't know whether i'm kind of looking back with spectacles but it's <laughs> i just don't remember that being a kind of you know problem you know 10 five ten years ago well if you take that back about 30 meters post-race russell's well hamilton had then swept round russell who was stuck behind verstappen in just line um russell did say if it wasn't my teammate there i would have squeezed him out wide a lot more and things like that so um, there was, there's a level of just, you know, elbows are always out and it's then how much further do you hyperextend said elbows, basically? I think, yeah, I think I agree. It's, it doesn't seem to have been a, a, as big an issue in the past, but it's become kind of racing that you push out rather than push to yield. Maybe it's just because drivers are getting worse at yielding. Who knows? No, um, I, th- I think I think you're right. There is something in this with this new generation of drivers, especially we saw Verstappen a few years ago doing it a lot, and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of followed that. So I, th- I think you are you are on onto something there, Freddie. I had some also brought it up. And, um, <laughs> anyone else in the midfield to kind of talk about? I think Alex Albon had a very good race. Um, that's he. Because he came from the back and was in a car that didn't have pace for most of the weekend and was in reasonable contention for points, I think. So well, his teammate. Yeah. So he won that battle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought Latifi was the guinea pig for why you shouldn't go on hard tyres for everyone. But anyway, um, yeah. even, even with being the, the slowest driver on the grid, he was wildly impacted. But anyway. Um, it, it was unlucky for Alonso, but it, I felt glad that Bottas got points. It's his first yeah, points in Austria, I think. Um, Canada. Canada. There we go. Um, but I, it, basically, there's a, and I attribute this stat to Jack Nichols, BBC F1, because he said it. Um, it's a mega stat. Every driver on the grid has scored points since for, uh, Valtteri Bottas last did before this race. Oh, I like that. It's a, it's a horrid that. start to say to Valtteri. Um, but, but no more. But yes, well, not a, not since now. What? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no it kind of, it felt like his, his weekend deserved it. So I was glad that that paid off. And it felt like, it's, it didn't feel like he deserves to be the most pointless driver of that period of May, June, June, summer, summer. Um, Quick one on Mick Schumacher for me in qualifying in Q1. He did a great lap, but then he cut the turn two by a little bit, uh, which meant he didn't get into Q2. Right. That was a big, 
lost him. I mean, he probably would have only covered what thirty. Even if yeah, even maybe. Yeah. But it's still. I was, I was just going to say, it's still small things where if Haas haven't decided who they're going to have, you really need a good performance, which you could have had by getting into Q2, then having a good race instead. We're not talking about that because it didn't happen. He's, he's, he's not off making a case for himself, to be fair, I'd say, actually, Mick, to be honest. I yeah, think... he's the person I'd have in the suit, actually. I think he's done enough over the last 10 races or so. Yeah, compared to the options, I'm starting to kind of agree with that. Um Quick word on budget cap stuff. We obviously have not very long left in this podcast, but um, we obviously have an agreement, uh, which is um, fine for Rebel and cutting wind tunnel time, which will impact. Um, it's not cut and dry that this will happen in the future for other uh, breaches either. So as a first offence, it's kind of... What do you guys think? I'm kind of on both sides of the argument, if that makes sense. Not not enough. It's, it's not mm-hmm. enough at all. This, I mean, I'm not saying teams will now breach the budget cap because of this penalty, but it needed to be a lot bigger. And I absolutely understand the fury of the fans who are for mm-hmm. that. Well, my opinion. Uh, I do think Red Bull have got away with one. I do not believe in what Horner says about 0.25 to half a second. Uh no, this I disagree with impact, that as well. The, it, this will only impact 2024 as well because ne- this next year's car will be in the final stages now. Well, it'll impact uh, development. Yeah, in the second half of the season. Yeah. Which actually uh, is relatively crucial, I'd say. I'd say it actually has quite a big impact in 23 with that regard. Um, I would also say, though, I think the major flaw is that the fine doesn't come out of the budget cap for next year. Yeah. I think that's yeah. genuinely ridiculously short-sighted. Adam. Yeah. I agree. I think for what it is, I think the main thing is the tax credit that they thought they were going to get and didn't, and that pushed them into this boundary. A million more, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's not kind of to me that kind of separates it. It didn't feel as bad, you know, it's something yeah. that they kind of counted on getting back and didn't rather than overspending in a non-F1 area. For example, which is yeah, still kind of worth saying earlier. You were saying earlier in the podcast, you've got to go aggressive on tire strategy. You kind of, if you're pushing to think, we think we'll get this and we're relatively confident we'll get this, it's the kind of thing you should push on in a budget strategy, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the other yeah. teams didn't, didn't, you know. Yeah, I know, so, but you can't compare tax between teams. No, when they're in different countries. But yeah, I think, yeah, I, I kind of. Yeah, I think I agree that the fine should be part of the budget cap, as you say. I think in a wider sense, it's the way the penalty is being negotiated isn't a great look for F1. And I know I know there are like reasons that have been put out for that, but it's not a good look. That's where a lot of the um, Saudi Arabia, the kind of um, mocking came last year and the questions about how can it be that you're negotiating a penalty on track well it, the same goes for off track and regard you know i don't think i'm not as opposed to the penalty um as i think you are nigel but i think the way it's come about is a bad look it's an interesting one because the kind of the whole concept of it is a sort of plea deal and if if rebel don't accept it then they just get a harsher penalty they can't then appeal it so it's a really odd kind of way of looking at it and 
essentially this, this is part of the way it's done because it's what the teams voted on and just to make it a bit better for them in the future and to make and um, you know the teams aren't going to worry about the optics of it um and even especially considering the optics are that one of them genuinely has to admit it you can't even say well we, you can't even deny it and then to be penalized you have to admit it with this kind of scenario which is um an interesting caveat um it's it's a hard one because I've, it kind of it kind of it kind of settles it in a better I've, way if that makes I've sense got, it settles I've, it with Red Bull kind of they kind of have to kind of just agree to it and that just for one of a better word just in it's a modern discourse kind of just discussion point but it just draws a line in a much easier way which kind of just settles my mind a bit better all my thoughts on it are on TotalMotorsport.com, but I've got a very quick question on, on it. Do you think Red Bull intentionally did it? Because I think that's a very important factor. And it's impossible to say, of course. Because No, I think they intentionally pushed the boundaries. They intentionally pushed the boundaries. I think they were a bit stupid on sick pay, to be honest. That's, you know, a bit stupid. Um, with everything they've done on that, which was um, yeah. a, a, a staff member was sick uh, for a long time, and that meant the sick pay is taken out of that but then they return to work so it's kind of like oh okay well they got better i mean then it kind of negates all of that and makes the pay has then has to work for the budget cap because that makes sense you can't just then cut off the salary for the person because they've come back to work um and i think the thing with the guarding leave is for down fallows is an interesting one because it sets a precedent but if you want guarding leave you'll have to pay for it um in your budget cap but that also just makes sense it's a hard one it's an interesting one to try and avoid so i think it's a bit more negligent than i think i think it's solely negligent rather than um malicious i agree there we go uh, yeah I mean, yeah look at that what a, what, a, what a fun nuanced conversation on it um yeah. we did very well there podcast yeah who knows maybe maybe there'll be more rumblings about it that come out in the next few days and we'll end up discussing about it in our in our post-Mexico pre-Brazil mid-race inter-race thing yes the one yeah. that just happens next week when there isn't a race podcast yeah so we might um what? and who knows maybe we'll have that to discuss but we I think we've all discussed it very well there so I think we should all give ourselves a nice pat on the back so well done us um we all actually did that. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh god! <laughs> um, but yeah, that's um, that's kind of it for now for the Mexico City Grand Prix review podcast. Um, thank you very much for listening or watching wherever you are. You can check us out where you can check us out, and um, that that's it. So stay safe, everybody. Stay well. Be excellent to each other. Do all of the good things and have a fun time. Au revoir, mes amis. Bye.